patriotism, faith, national unity, education, fiscal responsibility, civility, the values that define America. Fascinating stories and talks from America-loving patriots dedicate to preserving freedom, opportunity, and justice. Welcome to the Friends and Fellow Citizens Podcast. everyone and welcome to episode 103 of Friends and Fellow Citizens. I'm your host Sherman Talosky. Thank you all so much for joining me for the second episode of August 2022. I hope you're having a wonderful week so far as we wrap up the summer holiday season in the next couple weeks or so and school is just getting started for kids like myself. I also want to make sure to remind you to subscribe to our email list if you haven't already but the biggest th- news that we've had in the past week or so is our merchandise store is now open. We have our first two ever Friends and Fellow Citizens products. We have two kinds of handmade, made in USA mugs for all of you to order. That link to the merchandise store is down in the show notes below. Uh, but this is a wonderful way to support the program. And as a bonus, as I mentioned a few weeks back, if you are have have donated, excuse me, if you have donated $50 or more through our Patreon, you automatically get a free complimentary mug. So there's just uh, multiple ways to be able to support this program. And I hope you will check out our amazing mugs made by a family-owned business in Minnesota. So make sure to also give their support, your support, to that business, uh, which has been phenomenal, a phenomenal partner to work with to get our Friends of Fellows' merchandise going. Today will be our first episode on our first New York delegate to the Continental Congress to sign the Declaration of Independence. And that man for this week is William Floyd. Floyd was born on December 17, 1774 in Brookhaven, which was, of course, in the province of New York, Brookhaven, New York. And he grew up in a very wealthy household. His family owned quite a bit of land in New York. He eventually took over the family farm business. But he didn't stay long as a, f- a farmer. He was one to uh, have a bit of interest in not just politics, but also the military. And so later in the early ages of the earliest times of the American Revolutionary War, he became a major general of the Suffolk County Militia. And through his politicking, through his family and his work, he was able to uh, rise up to becoming a delegate from New York in the first Continental Congress from 1774 to 1776, later served in the New York State Senate. And uh, Floyd was someone who, unfortunately for the sake of podcasting, and this is Because podcasting is something that was invented so far ahead of of the times when Floyd was around, Uh, Floyd was not a very vocal person, and I guess when you're not that vocal, you're probably not going to be as prolific of a writer, especially if you're writing about what you've said. So um, while there's not a whole lot to speak about on what sort of writings and speeches or things he said in the Continental Congress, I did want to point out a few things in his during his time as the signer, which I think could really illuminate a bit on the signers and on the importance of 
of public service. Floyd was one to really know how to balance his work on the militia, work on the military, fighting on the battlefield, but also doing that work that seems very bureaucratic work uh, in the Continental Congress. Now, he did work on legislation and policies that the Continental Congress needed to make during the war. But you would think that with all the delegates, you would think that a lot of times these delegates would have a lot more free reign and that they would be able to voice whatever they would say, uh, they would be able to cast any vote that they wanted. But that wasn't the case for the colonies because each of the colonies had their own provincial congress. The New York Provincial Congress, unfortunately, had a bit of a problem. On July 2nd, when everyone was supposed to vote on independence, the New York Provincial Congress had not formally agreed on whether or not to vote for independence. They were kind of weighing and saying, well, what does independence mean, and what what are sort of the risks and whatnot? And because of this slowdown from the New York Provincial Congress— the New York delegates, including Floyd, actually had to wait around. They like they couldn't say anything. They couldn't vote because they hadn't got that green light from the provincial congress back home. And this basically delayed the their vote a little bit. It wasn't until August 1776 that most of these other delegates were able to sign that uh, copy of the Declaration of Independence, including William Floyd. And so it was a bit of a hiccup and I don't really know what sort what the nature of the conversations were when you got you got certain delegates like all ready to go and then some other delegates like well we can't do anything because we got to wait till so and so gives us the green light. It it sheds a different light on the bureaucratic element of the the congresses because you had the provincial ones and you had the continental one. Um, and I I find it very fascinating that there there was a bit of a delay on the New York side of things and. You know, depending on who, if you know of anyone who lives in New York, maybe that's just not that's that's nothing new for the state of New York. But anyway, I I find it interesting how we we like to think that everything just went so smoothly that everyone just went you know quick 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 you know the arguments and the formalities. While there might have been some of that, much of this was very much improvised. I mean, it was just based on how people were able to react quickly, especially. Given those times, we didn't have that sort of advanced technology that we take for granted nowadays. So just an interesting little fact there. Uh, the unanimous declaration, albeit pretty pretty delayed, <laughs> delayed for a month. And in that time, you know, time was of the essence, especially when, when the conflict was still brewing. Crazy. Uh, I, I, maybe, maybe some people got fired, but... Knowing that it's it's a provincial congress, probably no one got fired. <laughs> anyway, let's move on to what what happened with the, the Floyd estate. So Floyd had built a very wonderful home in uh, Mastic, New York, I believe, and it's it, it's so fascinating to see how there's signers who left their homes, left their estates, um, to embark on this uncertain mission. What happened was that not long after Floyd had become that uh, that additional signer of the Declaration of Independence, there was a very, very hard battle on Long Island, which Washington suffered a huge defeat in on August 27th, 1776. And over the course of three months, the British would absolutely annihilate Long Island. And from the Society of Descendants of the Signers of the Declaration of Independence website, 
I I read a, a brief fact that I didn't know about. I knew that some of the signers obviously had to sacrifice a lot, but this is very, very specific here. And because, uh, I guess maybe because of the warnings that the family was able to get, the rest of the family was able to get, but Mrs. Floyd uh, had that time to bury the, the silver that the family had and flee from Long Island as the British were coming to, to main destroy whatever it is was in their path. It was so bad that uh, that Floyd, because of his connections, he was able to get a hold of Governor Trumbull. Uh, Governor Trumbull actually ordered people to uh, make sure that they were able to bring back some of some of the belongings that Floyd's family had lost as the British were coming in. The British came in in Long Island. They absolutely destroyed that whole part of New York. When Floyd eventually went back to his estate, he found destroyed trees, he found fences burned down, lost livestock, and he couldn't live in his house anymore. It was completely ransacked, completely made unlivable by the British troops. He eventually was able to rebuild uh, not just his uh, not his home, but really his livelihood, and he really wanted to f- uh, find something that he could pass on to his family, so he's able to pass along an estate to his son, uh, but he finally was able to build a, a new home, pretty much the exact same home, but just in a very different part uh, in New York, what is now called Westernville, New York. While Floyd would still be active in politics to some degree, his involvement dwindled in terms of his official positions as a government official. He was, however, a presidential elector, which is someone who votes for votes in the electoral college to vote for the president. So he voted for Washington. He was an elector for 1800 and in 1804. He eventually sided more with the Democratic Republicans. Um, he was he did serve in the state senate later in the uh, in around 1808 or so. Um, he was chosen again in 1820, but he didn't show up. And I, I'm not sure why. It could be because of health reasons. But the future president, Martin Van Buren, delegate from New York, took his place in 1820. Kind of interesting to see how all these players kind of play out in different eras. You know, people just know each other, mean each other. It's just just those times, just the way it is in politics in Washington, D.C., and in state capitals and wherever you find the government. Floyd was 86 years old, in, in, in which is pretty remarkable. He lived a very, very long life. And finally, uh, he was still he was suffering. Let's like, like I said, I'm guessing that was because of health, for health reasons. But he was not able to serve as much as he could in his capacity. Spent much of that time in the early late 1810s, early 1820s in retirement. Floyd passes away on August 4th, 1821. Floyd was known to be a very steadfast supporter of independence. But like I said earlier, he was known to be very quiet, and he just wasn't one of those. He was just, <laughs> He's definitely not a Samuel Adams, let's put it that way. It was said, and I'm not, I'm not sure if Rutledge had actually said this. Edmund Rutledge was a delegate from South Carolina, 
And he said that Floyd was one of the, quote, good men who never quit their chairs, unquote. I'm, I'm hoping that that's a bit more of a compliment rather than a, a, bit, a bit of sarcasm. Uh, but Rutledge, what he's essentially saying is, you know, someone like Floyd, he works too far. He probably just has a different work style and a different way of expressing himself. So it's, it's, it's no, no, where he's not the only one. Floyd is not the only one who is more of the, one of the quieter signers. We've had a couple already covered in this series, uh, but it, it reflects once again the importance of having people with different skills and talents, not just people who can talk loudly, but people who can actually bring more skills and, uh, and other, other, other skills like, you know, working on, on bureaucratic issues, which is something that he did you know, with correspondence. Every single signer had all these responsibilities that reflected in their work ethic, but also the, the kinds of things that needed to be done to run this Continental Congress in the midst of the American Revolutionary War. Now, I'd just like to conclude with a couple of quick takeaways here. The first is the, the story of Floyd's loss with his estate, I think really highlights the true cost of signing up for an uncertain mission, but one, a noble one, like what the signers did. I think a lot of times we forget that signing that document, the Declaration of Independence, wasn't just a complaint. It was a way of, of essentially committing treason. Imagine some of the worst crimes you you can think of to be committed in a society. That really is what the British thought of the signers who signed the Declaration of Independence. And to really see the actual cost, not that not that it's something we want to read about, but to see the kind of cost that a lot of these signers had to go through uh, to have their forces completely turned around at 180, it really brings about into context and brings about a very powerful message of the importance of public service and why and I'll never forget the 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 story from. Esau's fables. I can't remember the plot of the story, but I do remember it said a very simple quote: "The more honor, the more danger." It's true for any kind of profession. It's true for any kind of service, and it's it's something that people need to want to accept. Now, a lot of times, I'm seeing people who want to uh, run for office or want to get involved in politics somehow, but they just like, well, I don't really know if I should. What if I say something and this person doesn't like it? Or what if I offend this crowd or that crowd? Well, that's not courage. You know, it's if if anything, you need to get out. Or I'm t- I'm telling these people, right? I'm saying I would say to them, you need to get out there, and you have to almost not care. I mean, you have to listen to to others. This is part of civil conversation, but you almost have to, in many ways, just not care about what the opposition says. Because in so many cases, whatever you say, whatever kind of political party you're in or whatever ideological position you're in, you're going to have someone disagree with you. That, that, that's going to happen. You can't change that. And so rather than focusing on changing that opposition's mind, why not focus on getting, uh, getting your, your side as right as possible without gloating, without uh, uh, pretending that you know everything? Uh, but that's what a lot of these signers had to go with. They had to definitively say, 
No, independence is the right way to go about it. They knew that there were people, plenty of people around the colonies who didn't agree with them, but they had to make their case. They made their case through argument. They made their case through writings, through contributing newspapers, which was something that other signers were able to get involved in. And it really it does take a level of humility for sure, and to not assume that you know everything. But this is really at the core of why politics is a very very tough environment. And I know that people want to get involved in various different ways, and um, it's it's very important to know your strengths, your weaknesses, uh, but also to know when to when to let other people do do certain things for you or to be able to take on certain elements of a campaign or of a piece of legislation. Um, it's just like how with Floyd, you know, putting, it's like putting Floyd, you know, as, as the speaker of the house and that, that would never happen in a million years because he, he just not a talker. He just doesn't like to say much and that's okay. He contributed in his own ways and other people like Washington and Hancock and others were the ones who were more vocal, who were the ones who at least were more willing to be on stage, to be on a war tour. And that's that's the way it goes. Just like in any movement, you need to have a full team. And the full team works as one unit. And that's how the Continental Congress we know of was able to put together that Declaration of Independence. The last observation I'll make, and this is something that I saw in Floyd and with some of the other signers too, which is I also believe that politics can never, ever be an environment where someone just goes into office and just serves the exact same role for decades and decades. Now, you could have an official position for for years and years. I'm one to lean more towards the uh, someone who believes that politics needs to be dynamic in someone's life. One of the things that I've told people is that I firstly would love to run for office in the future. You know, got got to see how the pieces play out. But this is something I want to do. But I've I told people I said if if I were to get in that position of elected office, I told now I promised myself and my family and my friends I've already done this because I truly believe it and I gotta just say it so I can be on the record for saying it, that I could be hold hell accountable anyway. But I, nonetheless, I'll believe this for the rest of my life. I truly believe that at some point, probably in my sixties or so, wherever that cutoff point is, I when I realize that. I've done what I wanted to do in, in elected office. I'm going to call it quits and do something else. And I, I real, I think we have largely forgotten that in today's politics. We assume that you have to be some, you have to be a governor, you have to be a senator, you have to be president, you have to be someone a higher authority to get anything done. Well, yes and no. I mean, on the one hand, you, sure you have to have senators vote for legislation or congressmen, or you got to get the president to sign. Uh, legislation. You've got to get the governor to uh, to send the National Guard to quell something. You, you have to do these things. It's true. But there's so many other components, so many other ways of serving. And part of that, I think, has to deal with just being able to let go of power, being able to let go and say, you know what, I want, I'm going to let that next generation of public service take over. That's what I'm going to say. when I, If I were to get into office, I, I would leave office sometime in my early 60s at the latest you know, maybe maybe earlier but i i really want to make that point of saying i'm not going to be here forever you know there's there's so many times when i see so and i get that some people really love the job of being a legislator being a, a senator or governor but you you have to if you're thinking about the realm of public service you have to think about 
giving other generations the chance. If you're if you're always in that one same position and you're not changing, if you're not you're not learning, growing, then what's the point? So I I just want I just want to put it out there because I it's something that I I feel strongly about and something I encourage other people to do, which is not to always do the same thing. To they'll realize that in certain times in one's life, because of family reasons or medical reasons or what other other reasons, it's good to to find yourself in different roles. Playing on your strengths, right, um, and knowing your weaknesses. However, especially on this subject of elected office, I really wish that we can elect more people who made that statement, kind of like a James Polk. James Polk was president for one term, and he wanted it to be that way. <laughs> so he he basically ran. He said, I'm only going to be president for one term. And everyone's like, okay, well, at least this guy's honest. And maybe that's one of the reasons why he got elected is because he's one of those few politicians, whether you like him or hate him, uh, ones who just say, I'm leaving office because you almost never hear that until maybe a year or two before their term is up. And so it's, I think it's very, it's vitally important that we reconsider the importance of not just elected office as an institution, but also as a, a way to uh, give future generations uh, that opportunity because everyone, single person, is going to remember when. Uh, when they got some kind of opportunity, like myself, getting the, the opportunity to intern for two members of Congress when I was once when I, when I was in graduate school, um, and and once just outside of graduate school, um, it's I'll never forget those opportunities, and I, I want those same kind of opportunities of people being able to serve, and I'll never forget those older members of Congress giving me that opportunity. I want to do that same exact thing for for people should I be elected to office, so. Uh, regardless, whether what, regardless whatever path we take in politics and public service, hope that we give that little bit of extra room for 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 those children and grandchildren. We often say that we do things for children and grandchildren. Why not why, why not actually put it into action? So, thank you all so much for listening to this episode about William Floyd, our first signer from the Colony of New York. I hope you enjoy the rest of August. So, the, just as a reminder, our next episode will be uh, the following month will be on September, Monday, September 5th with a brand new interview episode. So I hope you enjoy the rest of August. Maybe take a listen to some of our other older episodes. Be sure to check out that merchandise. Subscribe to Friends of Fellow Citizens if you haven't already. And as always, a day in America is always better when we are with our friends and fellow citizens. <laughs> <laughs>